watchers in the fourth dimension. As I made you so I can break you! I've never seen him go for food like this before. It usually has. <laughs> Nothing in the world can stop me now! Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And I get it. We get the fish people to go on strike. And this episode, we're off to the lost city of Atlanta. Uh, I mean, Atlantis, where a mad scientist with an outrageous accent is planning to destroy the world for no other reason than that he can. It could only be the underwater menace. At the start of 1966, so when William Hartnell was still the Doctor, writer Jeffrey Orme submitted an idea called The Evil Eye to the Doctor Who production office. While this was rejected by script editor Jerry Davis, the two continued talking, and by August, a new serial tentatively entitled Under the Sea was commissioned. This was originally intended to be Patrick Troughton's second serial, although the script-to-screen journey was not an easy one. Last time round, we kind of talked about how the director, who was originally assigned to Under the Sea, Hugh David, complained that the story would be impossible to make on a Doctor Who budget, and The Highlanders was brought forward to placate him and to replace the story in its running order. At this point, Under the Sea was actually dropped from the schedule entirely, and a story by William Elms, uh, William Ems, writer of Galaxy 4, was commissioned instead, entitled The Imps. During all of this, Orm continued to work on his script, because why not? Assigned to direct The Imps was Julia Smith, who had previously directed our favourite story so far, The Smugglers. Despite this, Ems was working on his script pretty quickly because they needed to get it recorded, and he fell ill, and he wasn't able to complete. So with just a month to go before production, Under the Sea was suddenly back on the schedule, now bearing the title The Fish People. While it was off the rotation, it actually also briefly had the working title, and I'm not even joking, of Atlanta. You know, where we all live, it's cool. By this point, the fish people had to be rewritten again to incorporate new companion Jamie McCrimmon, whose permanent addition to the cast was not decided on until after the Highlanders had started filming. So Davis helped with the rewrites here, during which some of the elements of the storyline were either altered or deleted, including the reason for Zaroff's insanity. Because of the late completion of the scripts, recording also started late, which meant that the show was being filmed just one week prior to transmission, which was an highly, highly precarious situation, leaving basically no scope for error. By the time they finally started recording this one, it gained the final title of The Underwater Menace. Recording included some location shooting in Dorset in southwest England, so they clearly decided Julia Smith was a good location director, as well as some filming at the Ealing Television Studio in West London, where they made extensive use of the water tank. Everything else was recorded, as usual for Doctor Who at this point, in Riverside Studio One. In terms of other key behind-the-scenes personnel, Dudley Simpson returned for the fifth time to provide incidental music, having previously composed for Planet of Giants, The Crusade, Riley's favourite, The Chase, with its random jazz interludes, and The Celestial Toymaker. He will, of course, be back a huge amount during the 1970s as the main composer for the show. In the designer's seat, we have Jack Robinson, and this was the first and only time that he ever worked on the show. He's also known for some work on The Sweeney, Zed Cars, and Tales of the Unexpected. And then joining him to make the costumes, we have co-costumers, the return of Sandra Reed, as well as newcomer Juanita Waterson. This is Waterson's only contribution to Doctor Who as well, and she is also known for her work on Doomwatch, Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, and Moondial. With that, we move into our short summary, which is in the very capable hands of our friend Riley this time around. 
The TARDIS crew find themselves in Atlantis, and just like he always expected it, it has an evil Russian scientist intent on blowing up the world living there. The crew are immediately put into peril. Polly is threatened with being turned into a sea monkey, Ben and Jamie are forced to do mining in what sounds like a Yoko Ona album listening party, and the doctor has to listen to Zaroff's outrageous accent. How do they survive? Polly gets help from Servant Girl Era, Ben and Polly get help from new friends Sean and Jacko, and the doctor gets help from Priest Ramo. Does this work? No, not really. Ben still needs to fake the voice of a god, Jamie has to rescue Polly, and everyone needs the fish people to revolt. In the end, the doctor determines that the only way to stop Zeroff is to make Atlanta sink even deeper. It works! Zeroff and his laboratory are drowned, the Taurus crew gets back to the surface, and the king of Atlantis thinks wistfully of the days of gods and fish people. Well, that was pretty All comprehensive. Right. Yeah. Thank you. So let's, let's get going. Yeah. All right, so before we jump in, we had two missing episodes, so episodes one and how did everyone choose to experience those loose cannon loose cannon loose cannon all the way so i made the mistake of doing the official bbc recon for episode one which was terrible and quickly switched to loose cannon for episode four which i highly recommend just to put it in perspective the bbc recon i noticed right away i was like i think i'm watching the wrong one because it doesn't even use a moving title so yeah you think that'd be the easy thing for them to take care of you know you would think so. Think is the keyword there, guys. All right, moving into the story itself. After hearing all of that background of all of that crazy rewrites and everything, I gotta say, you couldn't really tell that it was that messy. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I think that the writer did a phenomenal job of just fixing everything in. And I'm gonna say, like, Jamie didn't feel like he was a thrown in character. I would completely agree with you. I would as well. I would agree partially. I, I don't know. I'm, ex- I'm just expecting more from him, and I don't think he did a bad job. He's very charismatic, and he's just very, it's nice to have a very kind of penny who just take things as they come. He's very relaxed. Well, he has to be. I mean, Ben's <laughs> yeah. basic character trait is he yells at everything. <laughs> yeah. Ben and is Polly very highly, is... highly excitable. Yes. And, and Polly just can't do anything. So Jamie fills in as the calm, competent one. I enjoyed the characterization reveal at the beginning when they discuss what they hope, where they've landed, or what they will see when they open the doors. Prehistoric monsters. Very, very, yeah, prehistoric monsters. This doctor <laughs> is, is, is trying to uh, really get me to like him. I really like <laughs> the fact that the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of this story before we get to our mad scientist, it's actually quite Lovecraftian. You've got this um, this sea-based cult. They're being dragged way, 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 way down in the depths, and they're about to be sacrificed. I thought that was a really cool horror-like element. I agree. If only they were worshipping Dagon instead of, uh, what was the name of their god? Uh, Amdo. Amdo, yes. Should have gone with Dagon. But at least we find out <laughs> what happened to Cyril. Yes, I was going to bring up that that was uh, our favorite from the Celestial Toymaker. Oh, boy. And in my head canon, that's actually Cyril. He just took on a new name. After he escaped the Toymaker. Look, we're living in a time where you can make up any kind of BS with Doctor Who and claim it's canon. So that's mine. It doesn't have to make sense. Just make him like a multidimensional like imp that can travel from like one place to another and just try to like you know, fall in with people. Yes, you definitely have to overcomplicate it. That's yeah. <laughs> the way to do it. One thing I also found interesting is the fact that they stayed all together as opposed to splitting off into sections in the first episode. 
The doctor took later. a little nap, though. He laid yeah. down, didn't yes. he? <laughs> On some comfy, comfy rocks. We yes, This is the napping doctor. He really is. Still better than it has been in the past. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny that instead of taking their time, maybe by the second or third episode, to put all of the crew in peril at once, they just went straight to it. <laughs> instead, yeah. talk, talking of, of some of the Doctor's quirks, Polly has a line where she said something like, I've never seen him go for food like this before. It's usually hats. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> that was good. That was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... The way, that she says, the way she says it, it sounds like she's talking about a golden retriever. <laughs> i'm not gonna lie though there are some really good quotable things in this serial i feel the same way um, but i think about 50 percent of the, the lines are delivered by zaroff zaroff is it zaroff zaroff what do we want to go with Z- zaroff i think zaroff okay we might as well discuss him because to me it was very confusing going into a story about atlantis and it's just like oh there just happens to be this modern scientist down here and the doctor like knew of him. It's just a backstory that we just stumble upon. He has his diary that they're using to explain why he knows stuff now. But to be fair, there were a lot of modern people down there. They've apparently been getting yeah. people from shipwrecks and that kind of stuff. Oh, and, good point. Yeah, yeah, and a bit of body horror. They're turning them into snorks. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that I, I like it from the aspect of a mad scientist taking advantage of a group of people. Like, that's a very common thing that we've seen. So it's like, it didn't surprise me at all because I'm just like, oh, well, he's just taking advantage of them. You yeah. Know, kind of stereotypical, but it's, it happens. One thing I thought was kind of hinted, but not outright said. I mean, it, it, it was said that both the East and the West were looking for Zaroff. He disappeared. And, of course, this was in the 1960s. Nazi war criminals had all escaped to, you know, South America. I'm almost wondering if with the accent and that kind of line about how those two different power blocks were looking for him, whether there was a a hint that he might have been a Nazi scientist, or if I'm just, as usual, reading too much. No, I think that's there, but I just think that with the last name Zeroff, that's definitely a Russian-sounding name, not a German-sounding name. Joseph Joseph first, who played him, was Austrian, so I right, think the yes, accent is, is a bit more in that direction. Yeah, at times he did sound a little uh, Schwarzenegger-y. With his, uh, there was a line that he gives in the second episode of uh, "As I made you, so I could break you." And I was like, "Oh my god, it is! It sounds just like Arnold Schwarzenegger." Yeah, just throw in Cold War scientists, and it's fine. I mean, he's he's kind of portrayed just like a Bond villain. I mean, he's got a Pet octopus, for God's sake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that feels like a Bond-esque thing. But at least he's a good pet owner. He does make sure it gets fed. I mean, I, I thought he was very, very entertaining from the get-go. Oh, he was hilarious. He was really chewing up the scenery and giving it everything. He's he's really up there. O- almost up there almost up there with Minoxidil from the Aztecs. <laughs> <laughs> Just heading back to the Doctor for a second. One thing I really, really enjoyed here was how he makes this big thing about I've got a secret that Professor Zaroff would want to know. And eventually he gets coaxed out to it and he basically says, the truth is, I, I don't have a secret. So I kind of love the bluff and then the, the little coy way he admits that it was it was a bluff, basically. He, he folds he folds those cards real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought he would carry it along, string them along a little bit. That would have been the, the first Dr. Hartnell way. And when, when pressed, just kind of push it aside and then just move on forward and try to keep it going. 
I also like the fact that he signs things Dr. W. Yeah, the, the production team have definitely decided that his name is actually Dr. Who at this point. I also like the fact that he makes a friend with yet another woman because that's what the doctor does, mm-hmm. is befriends the local women. Yeah. Works in his favor. What did everyone think about the chanting? It sounded a little too barbershop quartet for me. That's racist. See, I prefer barbershop quartet, so, so okay. I didn't really... <laughs> they try to <laughs> add a it. little bit of harmony into their ceremonies, <laughs> and this is how you treat them. I know, Fish I know. Fish lives I, I want... matter, Riley. <laughs> I know. I was see going going into it. I was just like immediately imagining from my you know '80s childhood brain of Temple of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think part of it is I don't think the Atlanteans are as like menacing as say that from you know the Temple of Doom or something like that. That's not who they are. They do this because they have. It, it's like a it's like a have to thing. Like they they don't want to do it. I don't think. So it's not like they take pleasure in it. And so it's just like, oh, we're going to make this a little bit prettier because it probably fits what they do on a normal basis. True. And <laughs> a little do up in there. Just just have some fun. Our Mola Ram equivalent is eventually he winds up being a good guy. So they're not quite a, a thuggy, Kali yeah. worshipping yeah. cult. They're just fish people. Yeah. Speaking of fish people, Don, I think you already touched on the body horror aspect. Is this... Is this the first time we've really seen body horror in Doctor Who? I think it's implied with the just the existence of the Cybermen and even the Daleks. But this is uh, the first time we get to see someone close to us, like a companion, being threatened with basically being transformed. I, yeah. Can I also state that in, in that same guise, uh, the Savages, I thought the process of basically draining their life, that maybe maybe too vampiric and less body horror, but doesn't it age them? damage them in a way physically that you can see i don't think we ever decided yes. if it did or not i know it i mean it was difficult because it was all still but we yeah. weren't quite sure if that was yeah. the intended effect like if the one old man was actually you know 24 or whatever but yeah i mean as a child body horror is something that really really freaked me out i mean that was the thing i th- i found scariest the idea of a human becoming something other than if this had existed in its entirety, I'm sure the, the cliffhanger in particular of Polly being threatened probably would have scared the hell out of me as like a seven-year-old. Which brings us on to episode two. Our first existing Patrick Troughton episode. Yay! The, the last time I did a watch through, this this episode didn't exist. Got found in, I want to say late 2011, maybe 2012. I've watched it since, but this is the first time watching it in sequence. And I think it really makes a difference to this story, honestly, having having half of it exist as opposed to a quarter. I can definitely say that I know my enjoyment was enhanced by having those two episodes in the middle. And I am quite sad that we don't have the two episodes that bookend it. Yeah, me too. Agreed. I mean, it was so good, particularly as, as we're watching all this in sequence, to finally see the new Doctor for real. And he's prancing around the, the, the set being kind of impish, messing around with the power. His kind of oops face is absolutely <laughs> priceless. <laughs> it's just wonderful to be able to see him. And I would say that this just once again confirms, as we discussed last time, his like cartoonish demeanor and behavior, especially in this episode where he hides in the dresser and then like he attempts to put on the costume. I mean, that's that's classic Looney Tunes. I think he's a very, very visual actor, and I think it's such a shame that so much of his 
era on the show is missing just because of that. And I think I've probably said that before, but this episode really shows this, in my opinion. You know, I think you're right, but I also think he's very good at being subtle when he has to. So any yes. scene that he's in with Zaroff, Zaroff is very big, very chewing the scenery. And Troughton just goes smaller and more intimate and subtle. And it makes a wonderful contrast. Yeah, he's the perfect foil for him in this, because in certainly in the Highlanders we had Troughton being absolutely ridiculous, cross-dressing, <laughs> ridiculous accents. And here you've got Zaroff going crazy and the doctor's kind of egging him on to get him to go more and more and more and then suddenly he just goes so why do you want to destroy the world and it's so calm and targeted and understated you're right Don. that's exactly what it is so to point out something that is the opposite of understated and i may have mentioned this a little bit earlier we have two separate plots going on with ben being trapped down, basically being a slave. And of course, Polly has, has escaped and she's having to hide in the temple area. And neither one of them know anything about stealth or being quiet. <laughs> because yeah. Ben, they're, they're, hey, you know, they're hiding this compass from the people that are kind enough to help them. And he says at the top of his lungs, what do you need a compass for down here? <laughs> Dude, yeah. what are you doing? Yes. Whereas they had given it to Jamie and Jamie was like, okay, I got this. Yes. This should be hidden. And I was like, good job, Jamie. You don't need to be told what to do, unlike Ben. And the same thing happened with Polly when Ara was basically leading her to the temple and told her to be quiet. And she immediately says her response at the top of her lungs. Now, admittedly, there was some really loud organ music going on there. So maybe that's why she felt he had to yell. But neither of them do stealth very well. Oh, they don't. Well, I mean, it's just it's kind of hard to hear everybody when there's like outrageous screeching going on in the in the mines. I mean, that sound effect. Yeah, but the guard was oh, like wow. six feet away. Oh, <laughs> Come on, man. man. That At the same time, I'm like, good job for them trying to find something that's probably somewhat realistic of what it might sound like in, in that sort of mine. So good job on them. And then... With the other miners, when they finally decide, oh, we're gonna we're gonna sneak away and go through these tunnels, the other miners were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll cover your exit." Wow, <laughs> wasn't really <laughs> expecting that one. While I love Jamie because I like his competence, yes, if nothing else, there are a few instances where I can't understand him. <laughs> and you you know my love of like Outlander and all things Scottish and all this other stuff, but man, sometimes like I just sit there and I'm like, just just slow down. Just a little bit, <laughs> so I can understand you. Yeah, having a, having him not actually, you know, not actually casting a Scottish actor may have been a contributing factor to that. Maybe. Yeah, but I love it anyway. Like it sounds fine. It's just a it gets jumbled up a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, looking over the transcript, I think there were a couple of moments where he's using you know, certain expressions that wouldn't make no sense to us. I get that with Ben a lot, too, where he uses some bit of slang, and I'm like, what? What does that mean? See, th this is so interesting. So, I've, I mean, I guess being a Brit, I've never had that issue because I'm used to kind of Cockney slang and, and idioms. And likewise, I've, I've spent enough time around Scotsmen to be quite familiar with, with some of their slang as well. So for me, that's just never been an issue. And I, I genuinely never thought of it that way. So this is one of those instances where discussing this with a group of Americans is making me go, oh, yeah. Riley, what did he say? I couldn't make out a word of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
It's all clicks and, and whistles. Pops and clicks. <laughs> and uh, I should have mentioned it in the last episode, but uh, when Jamie was throwing out some Gaelic to try to get them to understand them, I was like, wow, all right, use one of the more obscure languages, but sure, Gaelic will work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'd like to point out that I, I just felt really focused on the music for this serial for some reason. I almost fell off the couch laughing listening to the music for the entrance of the king. Uh, maybe it was the <laughs> instrumentation that was used. But I, I swear there may have been a little bit of kazoo involved. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but... like, I have like a love-hate with this music because I am impressed that they went they went pretty far with that music. They yeah. could have they could have backed off and done something easy, but they were like, no, this is Atlantis. We need to do something different. I give props to actually do something like that. Yeah, I, I appreciate the the new music instead of using stock music. I will say that. But that leads us right to our big cliffhanger where the, the right. king gives his decision. And you know what? <laughs> it's about time that government gives their utter full support to science. Am I right? <laughs> Uh, so episode three the the eyes line i thought that was interesting so we're we're doing something where the doctor doesn't necessarily gain advantage because he outwits somebody but because he's able to read somebody and connect with someone else to explain that to them that's something that's not as common on the show this early which was also pretty cool because it was a character that our experience with in the first episode made us think okay he's gonna be you know one of our bad guys because he is trying to sacrifice our characters. But still, that was a nice turnaround. Mm-hmm. And I was jealous of his goatee. <laughs> Can we also talk about the fact that I think Julia Smith loves men with no shirts on because she directed the smugglers and we had the shirtless man count and we have yet another shirtless man. That is true. And we also had our male companions in very tight outfits. So Julia Smith would have been about 40 at this time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, guys. (laughs) I I honestly don't know where to even go from there, Julie. I know where to go. This whole thing fails because despite their putting their faith in a man of science who really just wants to blow him up, you realize that Zaroff's plan basically fails because he never bothered to bring them refrigeration. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I get that it was partially a plot device for everything, so maybe that's something where they could have enhanced the plot a little bit, but at the same time, like, of all the things, refrigeration in that type of environment just seems like an easy go-to, and then, like, if it's not just fish, if they have other things to eat, do they not have pantries? Apparently not. I laughed about it, and then I just went with it. (laughs) Well, you know, okay, if you're mutating people into fish people to get your food... You know, I guess you just didn't have a Frigidaire available. Whatever. And you would think there would be so deep in the ocean that it'd already be pretty, pretty cold already. Yeah. Can we talk about the... I loved the fish when they did that long shot of all the fish people out in the water. I loved that. That that dance scene? Yes. Yes. The the underwater ballet. And the music actually was really great then. And I I will never forget it. It it was shades of the web planet going on down there. Am I right? Oh, definitely. (laughs) 100 yeah. percent yeah but it only lasted for like a minute and a half and then you moved on 
one thing I really liked about that was you, you got to see a lot more of the fish people and they were very clearly in different stages of transformation, which yes. kind of got me thinking. It's like, so they get the, the gills implanted and I guess the longer they're in the sea, the more they kind of transform yeah. and mutate. Yes, I think so. A lot of like they couldn't talk yeah. after a while. And yeah. Yeah, I think that was a decision based off of what happened with the web planet. They said, this is just not give them a strange vocal affectation just get them to not say anything but they've gone <laughs> through all of this and then they get bullied by an irishman <laughs> uh. so can we talk about the doctor looking pretty cool in the fish people market wearing those those shades memories memories of the 12th doctor right there that was nice we're, we're just we're getting another second doctor disguise we are well, yeah. what i love about it is the fact that they're walking around that area trying to look for suspicious people and they don't find that suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> what does that like, say about their society? There's another guy that usually sits in that corner pulling the same shtick. They're totally used to it. Polly is wearing an outfit that is exactly what, what everyone else is wearing and she has to hide, but the doctor just sits there with a pair of sunglasses on and he can just be out in plain sight. Like, excuse me, what? <laughs> but it was wonderful, yes. <laughs> and the the other thing I love about the Doctor is he uses his recorder to blow powder in Zaroff's face when they capture him. Oh. It's finally we're getting another use for it. I'm not sure if that was necessary, but it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. Probably a non-annoying use of the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Zaroff. And, uh... Who starts talking uh, talking about himself in the third person. Like all sane people do. Yeah. Yes. Third episode ends with what I think is my favorite scene of the entire serial is the king and uh, Zaroff having their, their conflict. One is that Zaroff doing his line delivery of the your people, your people. I was waiting for him to say like, who are you calling your people? <laughs> and, and, and then the gunshot at the very end was not, not as striking as he thought, but it was still shocking. He had already been chewing the scenery, but now he's just like knocked past like the restraint that the king had on him. It was, it was time. It was ready. It was enjoyable. And then he gets to Antony's favorite line. Nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs> <laughs> my wheels. I can't move my wheels. <laughs> Holy shit, Zaroff. More like Zaroff off the chain. Okay, delete that. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh my gosh. But um, before we move on to the next episode, Amdo, I was just left thinking, well, this is very Wizard of Oz. You know, and it's just Polly behind there doing a booming voice. And... I thought it was Ben. Was it not? I thought it was Ben yeah. doing the voice. It, no, Polly fig no, I think Polly figured it out, but I think Ben uh, no. actually did the voice. I mean, Ben's okay. main character is yelling, so he's going to be the one doing that. That's all he's got, man. <laughs> I originally wrote Ben, then I crossed it out and wrote Polly, then I crossed that out and wrote Ben again. I was just a bit confused. All right, marvelous. Um, episode four. Oh, the the password gag. The password gag. <laughs> yeah that's a, that's classic i i enjoy that they 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 end the third episode with what appears to be like a pretty like cold-blooded murder on a down note and then like you know very dramatic and then the next thing is ben and the doctor doing like a little and hardy routine with guards and the old password gag it's great did anyone else think that they reshot the reprise or the reprise i should say it I seemed a little more that. 
understated to me than the cliffhanger did. And maybe mm. I missed it, or maybe I was imagining it, but no, just me. <laughs> okay. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. All right, that might have just been me. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. I think I just wanted it to be more over the top than it actually was. One of my favorite lines in this was, I have a plan. It might even work. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes. Confidence. Absolutely. He definitely feels like he's making it up as he goes along a lot more than Hartnell did. Oh, absolutely. And then like another line he had like almost immediately after that was, one thing worrying me, can we all swim? Like... (laughs) An important consideration. (laughs) Just a bit. It's like, are you questioning if you can swim as well? Because it sounds like you might not know if you can swim. Can all incarnations of the Doctor swim? Or is it a case-by-case basis? All I know is that if one incarnation can't, the next one probably will. Immediately. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're going to burn through a lot real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Fell in the bathtub and used up 12 regenerations. (laughs) I feel like we're getting into Curse of Fatal Death territory there, Tom. I can tell what your favorite story of all time is. (laughs) This episode has, um, and they did this a little bit in the first episode as well. Well, the first episode was a lot more aggressive with its cutbacks and forth between two scenes, like cut to Polly, cut to the doctor with uh, with, uh, Zaroff. This time it was all these cuts and then it constantly going back to Zaroff having basically the worst work day ever. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is like, you know, malfunctioning and and not working and things are shutting off. I I wish that would have carried on a little bit longer. It was really cracking me up. It's like, all I want to do is blow up the world. Why does this keep happening to me? (laughs) Exactly. And I love that with the first few things, he was like, no, it's all fine. Everything is still fine. And worse and worse. And he's like, no, 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 I still got this. I still got this. <laughs> just like, Zaroff, buddy. Dude, just, just give up. up. Can, we, can we really review his, his plan or his motivation better, actually? Because I can help you with this. There is none. Thank you. Moving on. All right. That, that's what I thought, because it just seemed like, I, but I swore he, it, he hung it all on the idea of like, I am going to do it to just show the it. power yeah. And I think as you mentioned, you said that they took out the reason why, didn't they? Yeah, so in, in the original script, he was going to have been driven mad after his wife and children died in a car crash. And that grief just kind of caused him to go batshit insane. That's not very good. I'm glad they cut that. No. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I would have wanted something else. At least make it relevant. Like, have them they drowned like or something. Boating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an underwater car crash. <laughs> Yeah, they drove off a cliff, and then they died in the car. Yeah, okay, They drowned sure. in a fire. It was terrible. But no, like there was there was no motivation other yeah. than just him implying that he just wanted to see the world burn, basically. Why do you want to do this? Because I can. Yeah. It, it, it does kind of make you think, where, where are you going to go? I mean, one of my comments was, please tell me Zaroff goes down with his ship. And I, he does. I know it's not shit, but basically, yes. Which was yes, pretty does. funny in the way that they did the little switcheroo and got him trapped. I honestly think he had a crew of scientists, and the doctor shows up, tells them of Zaroff's plans. How did they not know? They weren't very good scientists. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. And suddenly they all run, except for him, because he's batshit insane when they know the sea is coming. Well, they probably, let's, let's admit it, he's probably not a good boss. 
constantly threatening to feed them to his octopus. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's got to be an OSHA violation. If he was smart about it, he would have divided them so that they didn't know who all was working on what. For example, there was only one guy in the, the generating room when the doctor and Ben got there. So he probably just sectioned them off, said, hey, you're working on this one specific thing. So they didn't have an overall view of the entire plan. Yeah, that's true. That's what a, a smart, crazy scientist would do that. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the, the only problem I have with that is he doesn't necessarily show that much evidence of being a smart, crazy scientist. He's smart enough to be able to figure out how to lift Atlantis and destroy the Earth. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, true. It's just bonkers. And, yeah, and, I, and I, love I, I, I love it for it. I mean, it's completely batshit insane, and I really like it. I did like, though, that even though he went down with the ship, the doctor was didn't really want to leave him behind. Yeah, and he I felt bad that. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He appreciates the scientific mind. Well, and also, I just don't think he likes people dying. Hey, that too. But here's the thing. <laughs> Sarah could have left at any time. He could have literally walked out with them, and he chose to stay down there and drown. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd feel bad about that because that's the crazy part of the smart, crazy scientist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was all in. I'm just saying, in the doctor's situation, Zarov had free will. He could have easily got himself out of the situation, and he chose not to. Not my fault. Bye. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. <laughs> Wow, you all are just going to leave that hanging. Sure are. Thanks. All right, moving on. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> I, it sounds like we've escaped Atlantis, and our crew is separated and has a lovely reunion back up on the surface. Like they do at the yeah. end of serials. I thought it was interesting, though, because they did give that little delay for them to think that the you know other half did not survive. And during the reunion, Ben clearly shows that he has a lot of affection for Polly. Well, Another yes. romantic pairing coming. Yeah. Uh, I saw that from the get-go. He was hitting on her when they first were introduced. Yeah, so. back in the nightclub. Yeah. Yeah, Inferno. I wonder how he felt about uh, about uh, Captain for Finch last time around. <laughs> oh, for Finch. Oh, yeah. FF that guy. <laughs> Can we also talk about Polly wearing the hat? Yes! I'm glad you brought that up, because if you didn't, I was going to. That was adorable. <laughs> You know, there, there's there's a point where I feel like it uh, happens with a lot of Doctor Who companions. First couple episodes when they're just getting used to traveling on the TARDIS, getting used to the Doctor, they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, their mind is being blown or they're terrified or get homesick or whatever. But then there's like a point where they just hit their stride. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to wear this stupid hat. I'm going to ride this TARDIS all night long to wherever it goes. I don't care. This is awesome. <laughs> That's I think I think Polly has reached, reached that part. Not sure about Ben or Jamie, though. Not yet. Oh, no. Well, Jamie's just... Jamie's brand new. Yeah. And then he had to go and jinx everything by saying that he felt safe in the TARDIS. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, immediately. Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? Before we wrap up our actual story discussion, I just want to say, I feel like a lot is missing by the fact that episodes one and four are missing. I feel like they were both very, very, very visual episodes. I would have loved to have seen... Atlantis getting flooded and in the recon it had water pouring into the temple from Amdo's eyes and mouth and if if it had if they'd actually shown that on screen that must have been a spectacular visual. I'm also sad that we didn't get to see any of the actual landscape because all we saw was in studio. Mm-hmm. And this is our first significant location filming again by Julia Smith yes. who 
was apparently a really good location director, and uh, we don't have any of it. Again, to your point, Julie. Yes, Ugh. that makes me very sad. Yeah. Well, who knows? Ten years ago, no one thought they would find another episode of this, so we might could see something come back again. Who knows? Here's a question. Which one would you, if you could only get one, which one would you like? The first or the fourth? Fourth. fourth. Okay. <laughs> Done? Yeah, the fourth, obviously. Riley, are you in agreement? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> if I, I don't have to. I, can, I mean, I, I I can't really make a decision between either of them because I don't know. I I find myself more and more attracted to the opening episodes of serials more so than the end of serials because because there's a world you know a world of possibilities Building. at the beginning. Yeah, and and, and it's just there's so much so many directions you can go. You don't know. There's just so much suspense and so much room and imagination for it to go. In the fourth, you're wrapping things up, and sometimes that can get a little predictable, but. Yeah. It still doesn't mean it won't be visually good looking. Yeah, I, I would I would normally agree with you, but since it was the actual flooding piece, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think I would love to see that. But otherwise, I think I might agree with you. I love beginnings of things. And also, Zeroff's switcheroo death scene may have been absolutely hilarious to see. Like the actual physical acting of it all could have been yes you know, top notch. All right, with that metrics, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Gladly accepting nominations for the camp count. <laughs> oh, come on, we all know. <laughs> so we, we all know Zaroff. Yes. Like, does... is there anything besides Zaroff? <laughs> no, Lolum. Lolum? I, I don't know. Oh, you I mean Cyril? He, I don't know. Yeah, Cyril. Yeah, yeah. You know, his delivery is just. I feel like. I mean, Zaroff, yes, but also Cyril slash Lolum as well. I vote too. That's what I'm saying. So basically, we should just max out at 10, because I feel like Zaroff isn't just one point. <laughs> That's fair. Is he a full nine points, though? Yeah, let's just do it. All right. Awesome. Okay. We, we, right. we gave... Um, Nero? We gave Mac, well, we gave Max points for Dalek's master plan, Marvik Chen, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, then Zaroff definitely, yeah. definitely deserves it then. Okay, the I'll explain later counts. Don, this sadly, one's uh, your baby. Sadly, none that I saw. And then finally, quarry, quarry. We have a quarry this time. Yay! Excellent. Yay. So uh, we get an extra point for a quarry. So that was for all you location nerds out there. That was the Windspit Quarry in Dorset. You're welcome. That was the long shot with the fish people. No, I think that no, was in no- a tank. That was in the tank. Yeah. So the the quarry uh, was actually the the location filming in episodes one and four. You know, I was just thinking that 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 character was it. Uh, who was it? Sean? He probably goes to like aquariums and taunts like the creatures there, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Poor little fishies. He doesn't seem like a nice guy. I don't know. He rubbed me the wrong way. Anyway. All right. So with that, we move into our scoring. Don, you get to go first this time. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think in reviewing this, we've basically covered almost anything I would want to say about it. I went into this having no idea what to expect. I'd seen a few stills of the fish people, so I was honestly expecting something resembling a sequel to the web planet. I got something completely different. And despite what I've heard in rumblings of fandom about how this serial was received and it's very traumatic origins in terms of being written and then actually filmed. I really enjoyed it. 
yes, there are script issues. There's crazy stuff like the food apparently beginning to rot almost immediately. There's Zarov's complete lack of any real motivation. He's just a crazy scientist. But the whole thing was completely enjoyable to watch. I had a hell of a lot of fun with it. So I think I'm going to give it 7.5 snorks out of 10. Excellent. Julie, over to you. I think most everything was said before. I thought that the music, uh, good for him for trying to just make this different and make it its own because it's it's Atlantis. It's not any place else. I I laughed a lot <laughs> watching these and not for it being bad, but just it was fun. And all of the companions had things to do some for better or for worse, but they had things to do. They weren't just twiddling their thumbs. And Zaroff was just a crazy nut, and it was wonderful. But I'm also going to give it 7.5 Atlantean headdresses out of 10. Okay, Riley. It's hard to have a like a passionate view about this uh, serial. Uh, it's, and that's what I noticed while watching it. Like, I, I enjoyed it. Like, it is not one that I disliked at all. But it has so many crazy elements but not enough for me to like really, really fall in love with it. And then on its like more standard basic side of like to not look at it from that perspective, it doesn't have enough to pull me in from like a standard story. So it's like, I can't appreciate it for being completely cuckoo crazy banana pants, but I also can't necessarily appreciate it a lot for being like a really like well-crafted story, but there's a lot of good things about it and it just seems enjoyable. So, I mean, I think it's a fine serial. It's fun. Just crazy enough in some parts, just standard enough in others, nothing to blow you away, but it's not terrible at all. Um, I'd give it uh, seven fish people unitards out of ten. Okay, so that leaves me. Don, before I give my rating, the one thing I will say is your understanding of how this is treated by fandom is spot on. So when Doctor Who magazine did their Mighty 200 poll in 2008, this was officially the seventh worst story of all time. What? They came, they came back and did another one in... For the 50th anniversary. So this was after the second episode had been rediscovered. And it climbed all the way up to 18th worst. This is not well received by fandom at all. And, you know, you kind of think about why. And it's a bit ludicrous. The script doesn't make sense at times. I mean, the plan is clearly insane. It, it was assembled very much under pressure. And yet... I... Do people just not know how to have fun? <laughs> I was going to say, I really, really enjoy it. I thought it was a lot of fun. This is clearly a show in transition at this point, but we're starting to see it settle down. The second Doctor is starting to get even better. I mean, he was great right from the get-go in The Power of the Daleks, but now you're seeing the kind of more nuanced side of Troughton. I think actually being able to see him helps. I adore Zaroff and his ridiculous accent and <laughs> his ridiculous plan. I, I just think there's a lot to enjoy here. And I think back to when we did the chase and we described it as trash, but very fun trash. And this was trash, but it was also, I wouldn't say very fun because it wasn't quite as good as the chase, but it was still fun trash. And so I'm also going to give this one seven and a half outrageous accents out of 10. Which gives us a story average uh, across the four of us of 7.38, which makes it the second equal best story of the season so far, drawing with the 10th planet. This one we, we enjoyed a lot. Well, before we wrap up, I do have two more things. I know I said after the power of the Daleks, I would ask 
for the next few episodes if we were convinced by the second doctor yet and i forgot to do that last time around julie convinced yet yes Don? i didn't need convincing riley <laughs> no not yet. Uh, not yet not yet oh my you're, goodness you're still mourning for bill hartnell my, my heart is hurt and closed off right now <laughs> so i've noticed that riley's been a little bit more harsh season three i think i was the harshest raider i think this one's gonna be riley possibly we'll see i on average riley was the harshest on season three as well really oh. i thought i was yeah and so far julie you are the harshest on this season but that's mostly driven by your rating of three on the smuggler anyway um, okay <laughs> But the other thing before we draw it to a close is the mail. We had notes from a fellow called Nick Rutherford who found us through Facebook and he wrote to us to say how much he was enjoying the podcast. Since he's found us, he's listened to every story up to date, which at the time he emailed was the smugglers. And we actually inspired him to watch The Chase for the first time since 1994. Oh, awesome. He then goes on to ask how we came together as a group and, and where we're based. So we're based in Atlanta, Georgia, in the southeast of the United States. We kind of came together. I guess I was the, the convener. Uh, I met Don through mutual friends and I met Julie and, and Riley at Hulanta our local Doctor Who convention, and it just seemed like this would be a good and interesting group to do a dissection of the show with. So that's how we came together. With that, that is all we have time for. We will be back next time when we head off to the moon, which was obviously very topical at this point in time, being 1967, where we re-encounter some, some monsters from the past. In the meantime... All of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And as a reminder, you can email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting app. All three of those things really do help the show. Now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Czar Off the Chain, was recorded on Wednesday the 20th of May 2020. And always remember, if you ever meet someone so batshit insane that they are willing to blow up the planet for shits and giggles, you should probably get them some psychological help.